0: all right welcome to popular liberty you know today we've got a very special uh book for the uh for you guys this is got you know for right now we're about to start talking about okay remember you know in the uh in your history class in high school they told you that the uh that that, you know they you know the founding fathers were very very suspicious of catholics you know and uh you know this is a book about why that was and by the way the catholics were totally right back then the popes that is and this a uh that you know this idea or philosophy of liberalism that had emerged was very very dangerous to the natural order and would inevitably have you know terrible uh consequences and you know they go into this book is about like the history of how we got to where we are and this is a uh, and you know this this uh, Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre, who is you know deceased, he's a 20th century author, uh, who you know like viciously opposed Vatican II because this you know there we'll find that out find out why later, uh, in probably uh, future chapters. But this you know what happened you know you know he, like he like you see that the Pope's called everything that happened in the 20th century and the 21st century centuries ago. Like they saw what was coming and they they tried to sound the warning alarm, but unfortunately they were, not you know, kind of political novices and did not quite understand why these things were happening. And we do, and we will see some of that in the first two chapters, but I want to just start, you know, by, uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to actually, dedicate this. First, this first reading to Matt Matthew Erickson because when I was first reading this, my uh, my first thought was God, that this bishop is like Matthew. Er- it's like the Catholic version of Matthew Erickson, uh, like 40, 40 something years ago. And I just re- want to start reading this one quote from the preface that the yeah uh, yeah you know, you know, in this book he you know Marcel Lefebvre. Uh, points out the deep roots of the evil of time, especially in the church. The cancer, or better yet, the AIDS, you know, which is destroying the defenses of the church from within, has a name. Archbishop Lefebvre gives it, you know, gives it its proper name, liberalism. Uh, the, the, on December 18, 1977, he had already said the fruit uh, that the devil presents to the modern world to deceive it is liberty. Liberty of man set up as an absolute is indeed the cause of the weakening of the faith in the you know in many, and even oftentimes the loss of faith. So let's get in let's start reading chapter one. The origins of liberalism. If you do not read, sooner or later, yeah yeah. Uh, you will sooner or later be traitors because you will not have understood the root of evil. Father Paul Alangier, September 17th, 1981. It is with these words that one of my colleagues recommended to the the seminarians, uh, you know, the reading of good books on liberalism. Indeed, it is not possible to understand the present crisis of the church or to know the true character of people in present day Rome or to find out the, you know, the proper attitude to take vis-a-vis the events without investigating the causes. In order to achieve this, it is necessary to go back into history and discover the primary cause in that liberalism condemned by the popes for, you know, for the past two centuries. You know, we will set out from the origins, as the sovereign pontiffs do, when they denounce the confusions that are at hand. Now, always while indicting liberalism, the popes look farther into the past. All of them, from Pius VI to Benedict XV, take the the crisis back to the struggle waged against the church in the 16th century by Protestantism and to the naturalism of which this heresy was the cause and propagator. Naturalism is found beforehand in the Renaissance, which in its efforts to recover the riches of ancient pagan cultures and of the Greek culture and art in particular came to glorify man, nature and natural forces to an exaggerated degree. And uh, this is what we, uh, we see this a lot in Aristotle. Like why is it Aristotle is like proving God as like the first cause is he's responding to uh, some of these uh, uh, critics who are like you know i don't really believe in the gods you know i, I don't really think they exist and you know this uh, materialist this naturalist materialist identity goes all the way back to the uh yeah it, it goes all the way back to ancient greece like this thing is not you know we, we sort of think of it as going back to the middle ages that's not really the case in fact it's actually it uh, goes back you know to uh to ancient greece really you have all cultures have that materialist mindset in it where they don't believe in a God really, or certainly not a personal one that you can have a relationship with and that you see that you see both the, the theistic and the, you know, atheistic identities basically all the way back. And, but in, in uh, Greece it was particularly cogent because it had a, uh, a real philosophical backing to it where you know it, it, you know the, they could uh they could actually make a lot of you know sense this way you know we're, we're you know to the normal to the normal person and the and so when you know we started to rediscover you know some of the ancient ancient greeks in europe yet we we discovered some of the bad ideas too and unfortunately they came they came back with a vengeance and you know and what we're going to see later on is is how liberalism is rooted in this naturalism that came from ancient greece or these was resurrected from ancient greece thoughts elby
1: nope. um yeah i i mean i'm glad you tied i'm glad you make the point that this is older than the middle ages Um uh, i think one you know, we were kind of saying beforehand, I'm not exactly sure where I stand as far as the definitions in this book quite yet, but it's it's interesting to read nonetheless. Um, but, but you know, precisely to the point, the bishop doesn't make this, doesn't make that case in it. and Maybe it's just because he hasn't studied the ancient Greeks as much. Um, I would make the point that the materialism, uh, at least as far as I have understand it, would be, you know, most codified in the philosophical school of Epicureanism. Um, Mm -hmm. but, and, but, but to make the point, and you, you kind of alluded to it with Aristotle making Aristotle belaboring the idea of a prime, you know, what he eventually calls the prime mover, that there has to be something Mm -hmm. that like kicks off this existence that we have. We also have like, you know, in later iterations in Greek, in Hellenistic culture, we have the Stoics who were very providential, um, and in fact, we're, probably farther away, probably more providential than even Catholicism in in the regard that they didn't really believe in a freedom of will in any in any respect. So, uh, or in any meaningful sense, right? The only thing you have control over is your judgment. Uh, So I I think that's just a good, I think it's I'm I'm glad you tied it there because he kind of this, you know, like the naturalism thing I, I can understand a little bit. And it seems to be to the it seems to be a question of excess. Right. To the, the, the degree to which the natural world is lauded over the uh, maybe spiritual. Fruits, yeah, we might with say. naturalism. I think he goes on to define it a little bit, a be-
0: little bit better That this. You know, naturalism is the idea. He, he doesn't define it here, but he does in later chapters. where he, d- he yeah, defines a know, little the- bit
1: ahead of us, too.
0: Yeah, the difference between uh, like, you know, the kind of natural order idea uh, that, uh, the, that the church invented and naturalism itself is that the natural order assumes that there's a God. And uh, whereas naturalism kind of assumes there is no God and that all of these not and that, you know, whereas the Catholic Church, like in Aquinas, where we, you know, he believes that, hey, God set it up and ordered uh, nature to work this way. And mm-hmm. and so, yes, nature does always work this way causally, but it is, you know, nature itself is not is not a cause of itself. Whereas, you know, it, you know, we like we, we do put that first cause back to God, uh, whereas naturalism would say there is no God. Nature is its own cause, you know, or mm-hmm. or there's an infinite regression. And that doesn't matter. That's just that we have an infinite universe that, that's infinitely old. Yeah. And yeah. And uh, so this is so that so when we say naturalism we're you know we're basically saying it's it's a it's a it's the the forerunner philosophy of atheism you know naturalism you know goes to nominalism which then goes to atheism and this is where we got that from or secularism more more precisely not so much mm-hmm. athe, atheism yes but you know more precisely secularism so this is so when he says naturalism he's explicitly referring to this idea that you know nature runs runs the way it does and there is no god so that works the uh, uh so where were we uh, uh yes naturalism is found beforehand in the renaissance which in its efforts to recover the riches of ancient pagan cultures and of the greek culture and art in particular came to glorify man nature and natural forces to an exaggerated degree In exalting the goodness and power of nature, one devalued and made disappear uh, from the minds of men the necessity of grace, the fact that that humanity is destined for for the supernatural order, and the light brought in by revelation. Under a pretext of art, they determined to introduce then everywhere, even in the churches, that nudism... We can speak without exaggerate exaggeration of nudism, which triumphs in the Sistine Chapel in Rome without a doubt, uh, without doubt, looked at from the point of view of art. Those works have have their value, but they have, alas, above all, a carnal aspect of the exaltation of the flesh that is really opposed to the teaching of the gospel for the flesh covets against the spirit says saint paul and the spirit militates against the flesh i do not condemn this art if it is kept in secular museums but i do not see it see in it a means of expressing the truth of the redemption that is to say the happy submission of nature restored by grace but my, my judgment will certainly be different on the baroque art of the catholic counter-reformation especially in the Uh, In the countries that resisted Protestantism, the Baroque will still call on uh, chubby angels, but this art that is very much of movement and sometimes of uh, pathetic expression is a cry of triumph for for the redemption, a chant of victory for Catholicism over the pessimism of a cold and hopeless Protestantism and you know what yeah and that's something you notice in like the difference between renaissance art and baroque art that uh, baroque art is much more like vibrant and lively you know and uh, you you get a lot of the same uh, like motifs and themes in it but the you know you'll have such brighter colors you know it's it's a happier uh so, so, sort of uh uh, a sort of uh, artwork than the Renaissance. The so Renaissance is like cold and re- and very realistic, very highly symmetrical. Whereas the uh, you know, whereas Baroque art is a lot more lifelike, and it's because in, during the Renaissance, you know, Protestantism was you know thriving and pro- was being born and thriving, and this is and it was only in the and you know that reflected itself in the artwork, or rather perhaps, or perhaps maybe that, you know, that's a reversing of cause and effect as he's arguing here that the naturalism of, uh, of Greece was what influenced the European society and got it to, uh, turn to Protestantism. And when the Catholics later came along in the counter reformation, the art, the art that was being produced kind of changed itself back into a much more like, you know, uh, you know, happy, happy, uh, depiction of nature that had been restored by grace. You know, it, in other words, it, it was the, it was, uh, you know, it, it was more like pre-fall, uh, you know, reality as opposed to post-fall reality. And that, that was, and that's the main difference between Baroque art and Renaissance art. So you learn something every day. And so next
1: headline, uh, Protestantism. So, so actually and, real quick. So like an example of this. So we take like, we take Michelangelo's David, but mm-hmm. I got that right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we take we take like the David which is literally a cold stat like literally just a cold marble statue versus would the Pieta be uh, you know like the like the the the, mo- the mother holding the oh, Jesus yeah. is that an example of Baroque then
0: yeah I or think that'd be a good I think that'd be an example the one i think of is the, the depictions of the Last Supper where like the last Supper uh there for it was by uh but the Last Supper by Da Vinci versus the Last Supper—I forget who did it after him. But hmm. there are two de- I mean, you always see that this is like the classic example side by side that the the Baroque version of the Last Supper is way more colorful. You know, it's not symmetrical, and you know because life is often not, and you know it, it. And it's has a much higher attention to detail than the uh, Renaissance art does. And, hmm. and specifically,
1: and, uh, uh, Da Vinci's.
0: Uh, yeah, specifically Da Vinci's a ver- version of it, which is very, like, very symmetrical, hmm. very, you know, kind of, you know, plain. It's not detail-oriented, and the colors are a lot less vibrant. And the uh, it's just a depiction of reality restored by grace versus reality as it is right now. Sure. Which is, which is rather cold. And so, yeah, th- and this is where he really starts to get into the meat of his argument, that speaking precisely, it can seem strange and paradoxical to qualify Protestantism as being naturalism, as there is nothing in Luther of this uh, of this exaltation of the intrinsic good of nature. Since according to him, na- nature is incurably fallen, and the compu- concupis- concupiscence is invincible. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, the excessively nihilistic look that the Protestant t- that the Protestant casts onto himself. As you know, results in a practical naturalism, by the dint of depreciating nature and exalting the force of faith alone, one relegates divine grace and the supernatural order to the to the domain of abstractions. And so, let me put this in uh, perspective for people. What he's saying, you know, the reason that this has become such a problem is that what you've effectively done when you make faith alone, which is an internal act. Uh, you know, that, that you, what you've ended up doing is, so you've said that created selves, created people are the source of salvation because it is that act that, that gives salvation to, uh, to man. Therefore, you know, and this, therefore you've ended up uh, basically completely taking God out of the picture inadvertently. And so that, so this is where he's going to make the argument that, Hey, it's these, it's this, opposite extreme that has the exact same pragmatic effect as the as as the uh the naturalist extreme because uh, because you've basically you've taken God out of the picture almost
1: and right because there's no grace there's no revelation there's no revelation and there's no grace that comes from God there's just your profession of faith moreover that Mm -hmm. and moreover one of the at least and when I was raised um you know the distinction was also in that catholicism it's a matter of good works it's not just faith alone it's a matter Mm -hmm. of what you actually do in the world has an impact on your final judgment and feel free to correct me where i go wrong oh no that's 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 correct and Mm -hmm. you know continuing with the reading i will say i will say though it's a little bit of mind reading to call it a practical nihilism it's a you know it's it's and there's and and this is maybe this is more of a philosophical Mm -hmm. point i guess but it's worth it's worth belaboring because there's because there is a difference between Luther and the Protestants who came after him and kind of the spillover effect that are, are, are the crack, you know, the crack in the levee that was Luther turned into, uh, you know, a yeah. spider web that eventually broke the de- that eventually broke the levy. We might say, yeah, because so uh, it's, uh, you know, just again, that, that's a, it's kind of a technical critique, but. The, like as i'm reading these are the kinds of the things that i that i tend to pick up on cuz he's, That's he's not wrong about the whole he's not he's actually not wrong about the idea where when you if you remove the idea of revelation or grace that um when you when you remove those things that it is kind of a nihilistic because it's effectively whatever you decide so there is no greater purpose to it um but yeah it's just you know it's just and again like and and, and to the point he's not really He's not writing as a philosopher, right? He's writing as a bishop trying to tell the people who already follow him or who would follow him, you know, how they should be thinking. Um, So it's a different, it's a different kind of writing style, but we can, let's get, yeah, he's not, he's not
0: trying to to make it like completely philosophically accurate because he's trying to, you know, port it for a lay, it's just designed for a lay audience rather than a uh, Mm -hmm. a, a academic audience. Yeah. And so for the Protestants, Grace does not operate as a true interior renewal. Baptism is not the res- the restoring of, of a habitual supernatural state. It is only an act of faith in Jesus Christ who, ju- th- who justifies and saves. You know, nature is not restored by grace. It remains intrinsically corrupt. A- and faith obtains from God nothing more than this. He throws over our sins the modest cloak of Noah. So in other words, you know, you know, uh, according to Luther, you know, uh, humanity is just such hot dog shit. And uh, and what God means when he's saving us is he's just throwing an image. He's like covering over the, the dog shit. We still remain intrinsically dog shit, but we but God is covering us in his grace so that you can't see it and you can't smell. It. He's like, but he's, he's really sweeping our, our terribleness under the rug is what uh is according to Luther what salvation is and it's this extreme which you know and the uh and the accept is we are justified and we are saved by uh you know by simply a force of our interior will that that that, that makes this happen that we accept the covering uh, of of uh of God and this is what this is the 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 number one thing that sets up uh, you know Protestantism and liberalism because it makes man the arbiter of his own salvation, effectively, and it completely separates us from God, uh, and you know in a way that uh, the Catholic idea ha- did not have. And this is where we get the origin of liberalism is right here in in Martin Luther. Hey guys, I want to take a moment and ask you to support the Mises GOP Caucus. Like I always say. If the politicians are for sale, then let's just make the purchase. At the GOP Mises Caucus, we're raising money to lobby elected GOP state representatives and senators to help us pass legislation called the anti-tax. What is that? It's how we're going to incentivize the state to make taxation obsolete by creating tens of thousands of sovereign wealth funds in local municipalities around the country which will create passive incomes for the state, which will gradually grow to take the place of classical direct taxation, and will reward people for voting for smaller and smaller government. The beauty of this strategy is that it doesn't rely on winning majorities of votes. So it's automatically going to be better, cheaper, and faster than purely democratic strategies. With just a few hundred monthly donors, we can get this done and make taxation obsolete permanently. All donations are anonymous to the public, since this is a super PAC. All, you know, please support us at misisgop.org forward slash donate. Again, the politicians are for sale. Please help us make that purchase and subscribe to donate a few dollars per month now. Again, that link is misisgop.org forward slash donate. Thanks. Let's get back into the show. And so, you know, from then on, the whole supernatural organism that baptism has just added to nature by taking root in it, all the infused virtues and gifts of the Holy Spirit are reduced to nothing, brought back as they are to to that lone frenzied act of faith. You know, confidence in a redeemer who spares only to withdraw, you know, far from his creature. You know, the, uh, leaving an ever so colossal abyss between man, permanently miserable, and the and the thrice holy transcendent God. This pseudo-supernaturalism, as Father Re- uh, Reginald uh, Ge- Garagou-Larang calls, calls it, in the end, leaves man, although redeemed to the mere strength of his natural virtues, he collapses fatally into naturalism, so well do the opposite extremes join up. Jean Marx Maritain expre- you know, well expresses the naturalist uh, outcome of Lutheranism. Human nature, you know, will only be uh, will only have to reject as a vain theological accessory the cloak of grace that is nothing for it, and to, and to take back onto itself its faith confidence. In order to become that nice emancipated beast whose unbroken, uninfallible pr- progress delights the universe today, so basically by taking this, like this, you know, this uh, nihilistic view of humanity that Luther does, he makes us so far away from God that you end up with a practical nihil, uh, with a practical naturalism, and that the, uh, and it is this idea that. Uh, you know that if if all that separates all that you know unites us to God is just this cloak of grace, then all I have to do is reject it, and at that point I'm done. You know, no, no, no more God because he's so far away, he might as well not exist, and hmm. that's what this uh, this idea of uh, total depravity. This this idea that human humanity is so thoroughly flawed that he's basically irredeemable this is uh, called total depravity that's his proper name and so this uh, totally depraved uh view of humanity is in a sense naturalism you know it has the exact same effect
1: so because if something is completely depraved then what's the point in divinity Mm -hmm. exactly now here real quick because because as we're reading it i think it's worth asking does he ever like go through and address luther's points later in the book or like make reference to it that if you finished it i'm only a few chapters in
0: yeah i have gone through it he does uh, address it a little bit more fully but okay uh, it, it kind of it's kind of assumed you know what he's talking about about you know right. and uh, he doesn't go too deep into it he really starts mm-hmm. to hammer home he's only right now he's only hammering home here's the origins of liberalism Correct. Whereas you know, the book is more focused not on Protestantism, but on liberalism and why liberalism is an apostasy, you know, for Catholicism. And uh, that you know, so you know let's see how this uh, logic of total depravity gets applied. So this naturalism will be ap- applied especially to the civic and social order. Grace being reduced to a fiduciary sentiment of faith, the redemption, now consist only of an individual and a private uh, religiosity without a hold on the public life the public order economical and political is therefore condemned to live and develop itself outside the church of our lord jesus christ at the extreme the protestants what will look for his criterion uh, for the criterion of his justification in the eyes of god In his economic success, it is this sense that he will gladly inscribe onto the door of his house this sentence of the Old Testament. Honor God with thy goods, give him the first fruits of all thy revenues, and then thy granaries will be abundantly filled, and thy cisterns will overflow with wine. So where have we seen this before? Not just that we see this, you know, in the social gospel, we see this, uh, you know, in the uh, in the gospel of wealth, and we see this in libertarianism, you know, where, you know, libertarian is probably the apex of uh, of the, uh, I, you know, this is, I like what, why Matt Erickson calls it, you know, very distilled Protestantism, you know, because it is the absolute uh, distillation, the perfect Protestantism is what libertarianism consists of, because it's fully naturalist, fully rational and fully liberal. And, you know, this is, you know, by, and this is, and is by far the most coherent version of Protestantism. And so, you know, and was, and how does it measure itself? Basically by economic success. <laughs> it's, you know, the, the fruit of its morality is economic success. You know that they're right because, you know, they're profitable basically and you see how good this is for the for the economy and for you know human flourishing and prosperity and all that that's their claim to uh to to hold the moral high ground and so the uh and so yeah he and he he's predicting this probably 50 60 years ago and the and the, and he goes into like the popes predicting all of this hundreds of years ago and and that's you know and uh, we're going to get into that probably in later chapters though but uh jacques maritain has a, so, has some good words on the materialism of protestantism which will give birth to the economic liberalism and to capitalism and ha- not quite sure how he's defining capitalism here
1: yeah uh, that's a constant thing in this is are his for me are his definitions because they they're really um malleable <laughs> Can be, but yeah. Yeah, they're, 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 yeah. but, we'll, but we'll, uh, I'll kind of get to that as we get towards the end of the second chapter.
0: Behind Luther's appeals to the Lamb Who Saves, behind his outbursts of confidence and his faith in the pardon of sins, there is a human creature who raises up his head and who arranges his affairs very well in the mud where he is immersed by the fault of Adam he will manage in the world he will follow the thirst for power the imperialist instinct the law of the world which is his world god will only be an ally but a mighty one in other words not a king you know god you know under protestantism the king does not rule and god does not god does not either he is so far away that it's practic that he's practically non-existent that Thus, the result of Protestantism will be that man will attach themselves more to the goods of this world and forget the eternal goods. If Puritanism comes to exercise a- an exterior supervision over public morality, it will not impregnate men's hearts with the truly Christian spirit, which is a supernatural spirit called the primacy of the spiritual. Protestantism will be led necessarily to proclaim the emancipation of tempor- of the temporal from the spiritual. Now now it is precisely that emancipation that one will find again in liberalism. And this is where he's making the he's now making the pivot to let's talk about liberalism. Because you know what what will end up what ends up happening is this is why you get the social gospel. This is why you get progressivism and, and, you know, and more, and more fully neoliberalism. This is where these, these ideas come from, where they, where they, they're here to emancipate, you know, you know, people, and this is where you also get the French revolution and before, before all of it, this is where you get the French revolution, particularly, which really wanted to emancipate, uh, people from the, you know, from the, uh, from the Catholic church, from the spiritual. And they looted the Catholic Church multiple times, and the uh, and this is actually one of the key differences between uh, the revolution and Fr- the French Revolution and the American Revolution was that the American Revolution wa- was you know founded by people who wanted to be wanted to be more Christian it was a, is a very weird and wacky kind of christianity and you know puritanism but they were still like nominally christian they still wanted to be more christian as they saw it whereas the french revolution on the other hand they wanted to be as far as they could away from christianity they really wanted to be emancipated they full blown emancipated from this you know from the uh, spiritual you know from the uh, you know from spirituality and it's only in later years, you know, that uh, in America that we, with, with progressivism, that we finally get that full uh, desire and this, you know, secular revolution as well, where they want to, uh, you know, emancipate uh, the the world basically from from God, from Christianity, and make it a fully secularized institution, you know, complete with like trannies and and children cutting their balls off. And this is where it comes from. So, let's see. The popes, then, had a good reason to denounce this naturalism of Protestant inspiration as the origin of liberalism that disrupted Christianity in 1789 and 1848. Thus, Leo XIII says, This audacity of faithless men, which threatens civil civil society every day with more serious destruction, and which stirs up anxiety and trouble in all minds, has its cause and its origin in those poisoned doctrines, which spread out in these in these latest times among among the peoples like seeds of vices, have borne very malignant fruits in their season. Indeed, you know very well, venerable brethren, that the cruel war with, that has been declared since the sixteenth century against the Catholic faith by the innovators you know, aimed at this goal of turning aside all revelation and overthrowing the whole supernatural order in that in order that that access may be opened up to the to the discoveries or rather the frenzies of unaided reason closer to our time benedict the benedict the 15th says since the first 3 centuries and the origins of the church In the course of which the blood of Christians has fertilized the the entire earth, one can say that the church never was in such a danger as that which showed itself at the end of the 18th century. It was then indeed that a philosophy in delirium, a a prolonging of the heresy and the apostasy of the innovators, acquired a universal power of seduction over the minds and brought about a total bewilderment you know, with the settled purpose of ruining, you know, Christian foundations in society, not only in France, but little by little, all of the nations. The but birth Innovators of political... Is, uh, nat-
1: and it just real quick, Innovators is a placeholder for the Protestant reformers.
0: Yes, Just correct.
1: making that note for the listeners. And so the,
0: uh, okay, the birth of political naturalism. Protestantism had set up a very harsh attack against the church and caused a deep tearing of Christianity in the 16th century. That is in the Protestant Reformation. But it did not succeed in penetrating the Catholic nations with the venom of its political and social naturalism until this secularizing spirit had reached the academics. And then those so-called philosophers of the Enlightenment, and where have we seen this before? When the commies tried to take over, what was the first inst- institution they took? The universities. University, right? At, and not, not just here in America, but you also see it in uh, Germany. This is where we got socialism f- from. Was the first, uh, uh, pla- the first institution that the that these liberals, the socialists, the secularists, you know, when those people took over, they did. You know, the the first place that they took over was the universities. The reason being is that's where all of the elites are trained. So wherever your universities are, you know, that that is, a, you know, that's the main battle. You know, this is why Curtis Yarvin says that the universities are as close to a center uh, for the cathedral as, uh, uh, you know, as there, there is. The cathedral is decentralized and that's in, in order to make it more powerful. But if there is a center it's the universities, because that's where all of the elites are trained. That's where the whole, pre- that's where every journalist is trained. That's where every, uh, you know, high hierarchy, uh, every, uh, higher up in the state department is trained. That's where all of the, le- you know, where the legislatures and the, uh, and the presidents are all trained. That's where all of the corporate businessmen are, tra- are trained, or at least, at least nearly all, not, uh, not every, not hundred well, percent, but it's also the it.
1: standard too, right? It's also the standard for it as well. So it's not just a matter of the per- of the of the person who will eventually go to Harvard Law. It's also the fact that the person who think who who never thought that they could get into Harvard Law will still want to follow those people and mm-hmm. do what they think and say. It's a matter exactly. of mimicry and copying because of their place within the hierarchy of society. And for good reason, you know, for good reason we might say, which is one of the reasons why the corruption of it has been. Is is so deleterious, and you know, to the point we're talking a lot about government officials, but the the point should be made that a lot of pe- a lot of people who would become priests in the church and then bishops mm-hmm. as well. Uh, yeah, you know, very Yeah, this the is... seminary. Mm-hmm. Back then, the, the seminary, seminary and the
0: university were basically one and the same.
1: And well, in fact, most major universities started as some kind of seminary, exactly. seminary as well. So they share they share a common uh, ancestry and history in that regard, in mm-hmm. that regard, too.
0: And this was what like the the biggest innovation the Catholic Church ever came up with. And the way the Protestants and the secularists uh, and the liberals hijacked society was by hijacking the institution uh, of the university, which the uh, that which the Catholic Church had invented. This was our main innovation that gave us the ability to create such a prosperous and great society starting around the 12th century was mm-hmm. that we you know we invented the the university which gave us the ability to educate all of the rulers all, the entire yep. ruling class was educated by the catholic church and want- this was our main seat of power and this was why again in you know the french revolution this was the first thing they tried to take over. Was the universities? Ditto in Germany when when the uh, the liberals and the socialists started taking over. The first institution was the, was the universities. That was the one they wanted, because that's where the the, the rulers and elites get tra- get trained. And if you if you can put your poisonous ideology into their minds, this is how you get you take control of a civilization. And so that so but and by the way, I want to do a shameless plug for Mises GOP right now because hey, we understand where the where the battle needs to be fought. You know, we need to take the fight to the universities, and that has to start with the secondary education with the uh, with the education system at the lower ranks. So one of the things that Mises GOP really wants to do is use local governments and local power to start taking the fight to the liberals. So so you know how they can uh, play this game of you know, of forcing their doctrines on and trying to indoctrinate children. Two can play that game. <laughs> and, uh, and we fully intend to. So we'd like, you know, we, would, you know, using, uh, you know, your money, if you want to help us take the fight directly to the education system, to the universities by electing good Misesian libertarians, preferably Christians as well, you know, if you want to help us take it to the, take the fight to the enemy and reverse this, uh, You know, this task that reverse the secularization, reverse the liberalism that has been poisoning society, you know, please donate monthly to at at Mises GOP.org forward slash donate, because you, uh, you must understand the universities, the education system. This is the main battle. This, you know, we win here, we win everywhere else. And so that, you know, so you know the the battle for human civilization the battle for the west and the or really what's left of it must be fought at the in the education system starting at the local level we have to take the fight to, to the enemy to their center and break them and so if you if that's this is something you believe in, if you want to see Rothbard taught in schools, if you want to see Aquinas taught in schools, if you want to say if you want a return of Christianity, if you want, you know, if you want to say, hey, give me Christ the king back. If that if that's what you believe, donate to Mises GOP at, at uh, Mises forward slash donate. Please donate monthly any little bit helps every, you know, from, t- you know, $2, $3, $10, whatever you can do monthly. I know inflation is high, but whatever it t- but whatever you can afford still afford to donate monthly, it makes a big difference. And this is how we win. All right. Shameless plug
1: over. Mind if I pick it up for a bit, go ahead. So this, these so-called philosophers of the enlightenment in reality, philosophically, protestantism and juridical positivism have a common origin in the nominalism of the decadent middle ages which led as well to luther with his purely extrinsic and nominal idea of the redemption as to descartes with his idea of an unintelligible divine law submitted to the purely arbitrary decisions of god's will all of that's, christian uh, philosophy let's define nominalism
0: you know. for people you know just so. yeah i was
1: i looked it up earlier just uh because i was like trying to make sure that i understood what it because it's not really a term that i use too, too often but basically i found using um i mean i always use stanford Mm plato um but it's it's basically the idea that either either there are no universal ideas Mm -hmm. but all but also nominalism can refer to the idea that to the idea nominalism can refer to that school of thought which says that ideas have no correlation to the thing but that, that things exist and they're just our they're just our ideas to describe yeah. the thing. That they do actually it, connect.
0: Yeah, essentially it's that idea that there are no absolute truths. And, you know, the, there's the quick retort is, well, are you absolutely sure? And well, as, as the that,
1: practicing skeptic here, I, you know, yeah. I don't completely disagree with that, you know? Yeah, um, somewhat. Well, that, so, that, yeah. So I, in that it connects right. to theology, though, I take the Montaigne, who was a Renaissance line, which is that to the extent that we can know things is through grace um which is you know that and otherwise we are just kind of muddling through we are just kind of muddling through the dark which is where i would accept the words of the pope of of pope was it pope benedict the 15th here who says um or no it was uh leo the, leo the 13th who says that you know unaided reason and i would i do i do agree with that mm-hmm. um but where i also might be considered marginally nominalist otherwise just as a matter of matter of course
0: yeah, and uh, the
1: so uh, go ahead and uh, pick up where you were coming from. Just as soon as I find my place. Here we go. The natural law um, blah, 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 affirmed with Thomas Aquinas. Wait, nope. Okay, no, as to all Descartes, of Christian philosophy. Yeah, all as to Descartes with his idea of an unintelligible divine law submitted to the purely arbitrary decisions of God's will. All of Christian philosophy, however, affirmed with Saint Thomas Aquinas the unity of eternal divine law and of the natural human law quote the natural law is nothing except a participation in the eternal law by the rational creature writes the angelic doctor with descartes a break is already made between the divine right and the natural human right after him the academics and the jurists will not be long in practicing the same separation thus hugo grotius 1625 summed up by paul hazard divine right Grotius tries to safeguard it what we have just said he declares would take place even if we should grant what cannot be conceded without a crime that there is no God or that human affairs are not the object of his solicitude since God and providence exist without any doubt we have here a source of right in addition to that which emanates from nature this natural right itself could be attributed to God since the divinity has willed that such principles exist in us. The law of God, the law of nature, continues Paul Hazard, this double formula. It is not Grotius who invented it. The Middle Ages knew it already. Where is its character of newness? How does it happen that it is criticized, condemned by the doctors? For whom does it create a stir? The novelty consists in the separation of the two terms, which they try to insinuate. In their opposition, which they tend to assert, in an attempt at conciliation as an afterthought, by which its mere self supposes the idea of rupture, and so what he's driving at here, and you correct me where I'm going wrong, is this is the degree to which Enlightenment philosophers in general kind of take the idea of reason and kind of separate it out from the rest of human being, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that which is kind of the term I've been using recently to kind of describe the thing we're we're, we're sort yeah. of driving at here, and uh, and to that I completely agree. But what is interesting yeah. though is I was reading this part is, is there is a bit of a correlation to Descartes in this, um, where was it here? Luther was a big fan. That what? Luther
0: was a big fan of Descartes.
1: Yeah, well, you know, Descartes had some things to say, right? We still use Mm -hmm. the Cartesian plane. Yeah, pretty much. Um... That was pretty good. Calculus, you know, I don't use it a lot, but supposedly it's a good thing. <laughs> well, he he didn't do calculus. That was
0: Isaac Newton, but, but, uh, he, you didn't know, he, uh,
1: didn't he expand calculus or am I, am I? Mis- no, he invented it, but,
0: uh, Descartes was a heavy influence on, uh, on Newton. calculus on, on Newton. New- okay. Yeah, Newton See, was the one. My who problem is, it.
1: my problem is always like, yeah. I, dates are bad for me, so like I don't always remember <laughs> who comes before when. It's like it's like this, it's like this eternal conversation in in my mind. Oh yeah, there was, and he actually goes here... on
0: to explain later that that uh, mm-hmm. uh, actually, uh, you know, a lot of people they don't like tell, saying who their influences are. You know, if, if they're really big thinkers, they don't like saying they like to pretend they're original and they're really not. And yeah. one thing that uh, Newton did was he erased from his, he went back to all of his old diaries and erase Descartes name out of it. (laughs) So people wouldn't know.
1: Ego, uh, man, right? uh, Ego. Exactly. And uh, and, the thing I picked up on there was that the idea of that God is being put in us, which is something that Descartes talks about in his five meditations. Yeah. and uh, but,
0: and that's and uh, this idea here that uh, you know this is like the birth of where this idea that reason and faith are uh, are opposed to each other and re- and whereas in the Catholic idea because you know God Himself you know the first truth the first cause is knowable through love you know God is love you know He, he who loves is born of God and knows God for God is love. You know that's where this idea of our epistemology comes from. This is you know where our idea of faith you know leads you know leads us that you know not only are faith and re- and reason not opposed to each other, that they are mutually dependent on each o- on each other because you know t- to the knowledge of God is completely possible. Like I experience God through through love. The word the words there in Greek is that uh you know is that you actually physically experience uh, God through love so this you know so this knowledge of the first cause of the universe comes to you know is actually possible so that so this is where the the catholic epistemology is very different than the protestant epistemology which says that i can't know anything outside of myself and yeah and that i am such you know basically dog shit that i'm basically i don't i don't even know how how it is that god loves me and i'm such a, a piece of shit that i can't possibly you know, like love him back, and I can't be, uh, uh, you know, to any meaningful degree, et cetera, et cetera. And this is all very different from the Catholic idea, which is no, I, you know, I is that the human, human does not need to, you know, use his own uh, uh, human love to love God back, is that, you know, the spirit comes down and assists us in doing so. And all we're doing a, as uh, humans is exerting our human will to reciprocate God's own love back to him. And so God's giving us the divine lo- love. We use our human will and our human reason to reciprocate it back to him, his own love back to him. And this is how we come to have a knowledge, a real knowledge of God. The word there is gnosis, you know, in, in Greek, it's the masculine version of gnosis, which means you have a, a perception of the, a, 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 you, you even have a perception of the supernatural in, in this, that, that that you can actually perceive the divine essence. You know, physically, and so you know, th- so when you and but and when you do this, you know, when you, when you do what Luther and the Protestants uh, have done, you basically destroy epistemology because you make God unknowable. And this is why Luther has such scruples, you know, yeah. and this is why he said, and this is becomes again, this is from his nominalism that you know, how can I know that I'm saved? How can I know? That I'm connected to God, and what he ends up coming to, coming to is just it must be faith alone. It must be this uh, this surge of belief that gives me that 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 uh, based com- based entirely on faith. You know, I have no reason for it at all. You know, but it's just in, I take it entirely on faith that I am saved. And the uh, and and this is where he gets the idea that 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 famous quote of his that's like you know that like. not like do not sin but if you do sin boldly because you know and and Mm -hmm. have even great more bold faith you know and have and believe even more strongly or something like that you know to where it's a you know very very weird you know in particularly a christian sense where you would say sin but then believe you're saved which is very which greatly sums up a lot of uh you know the, the more uh you know mega church believers who are like the social gospel and all that you know, mm-hmm. you we re, where you really see that idea come out in force—that uh, oh, you know, because you have uh, you know, s- such material wealth, therefore you can believe that you are saved because you're doing well, not that you're doing yeah, <laughs> you can believe you're doing good because you have uh, material wealth, which is not at all the Catholic doctrine, where which is like, hey, this this can happen to the good and the bad alike. So
1: yeah. right, right, because that would be the position.
0: Hey guys. I want to take a moment and ask you to support the Mises GOP caucus. Like I always say, if the politicians are for sale, then let's just make the purchase. At the GOP Mises caucus, we're raising money to lobby elected GOP state representatives and senators to help us pass legislation called the anti-tax. What is that? It's how we're going to incentivize the state to make taxation obsolete by creating tens of thousands of sovereign wealth funds in local municipalities around the country which will create passive incomes for the state, which will gradually grow to take the place of classical direct taxation, and will reward people for voting for smaller and smaller government. The beauty of this strategy is that it doesn't rely on winning majorities of votes. So it's automatically going to be better, cheaper, and faster than purely democratic strategies. With just a few hundred monthly donors, we can get this done and make taxation obsolete permanently. All donations are anonymous to the public, since this is a super PAC. Please support us at misesgoporg forward slash donate. Again, the politicians are for sale. Please help us make that purchase and subscribe to donate a few dollars per month now. Again, that link is misesgoporg forward slash donate. Thanks. Let's get back into the show. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, and well, let's so try, let's try and knock out this first chapter yeah yeah so the jurist Pufendorf, 1672 and the philosopher Locke, 1689 completed the secularization of the natural right this obviously has tons of mm-hmm. uh interplay with libertarianism the philosophy of the enlightenment imagines a state of nature that has no more to do with the realism of christian philosophy and that culminates in the idealism with the myth of the good savage of jean-jacques rousseau Little little bit of overplay, because Rousseau and Locke are kind of at odds, but fine. The natural law is reduced to a cohesion of sentiments which man has of himself and which are shared by the majority of men. The following dialogue is found in Voltaire. What is the natural law? The instinct that makes us feel just. What do you call just and unjust? What appears as such to the entire world? Such an outcome is the fruit of a reason that has lost its way that in its thirst from, for emancipation from God and his, revelation, and his revelation has likewise burned the bridges connecting it with the simple principles of the natural order, which the supernatural divine revelation recalls and the magisterium of the church confirms. If the revolution separated the civil power from the power of the church, that is, at root, because it had, al- it had already for a long time been separating faith and reason for those who adorn themselves with the name of philosophers. It will not be out of place to recall what the First Vatican Council teaches on this subject. Not only can faith and reason never be in disagreement, but they, must mut- but they mutually lend themselves support as well, since right reason demonstrates the foundations of faith and, illuminated with the light of faith, devotes itself to the knowledge of the divine thing, while faith, for its part, frees and protects reason from errors and teaches it with a, multi- with a multifaceted learning. The revolution took place precisely in the name of the goddess reason. I really did like how he made the point of the goddess reason. And yes. it just as that ties to the the, male, the, the masculine, And He goes way into that later. Chaos. Yeah, it's, a tie, it, it's, it's an interesting point for sure. Of the goddess reason, of reason deified, of the reason that sets itself up as the supreme norm of truth and falsity of good and evil you can now catch a glimpse from this of how much all these errors overlap one another liberalism, naturalism, finally rationalism, which are only complementary aspects of what must be called the revolution. There where re- where right reason illuminated by faith sees only harmony and subordination, the deified reason hollows out the abysses and raises up walls nature without grace, Material prosperity without the searching for eternal goods. That's the key. The civil Mm -hmm. power separated from the ecclesiastical power. Politics without God or Jesus Christ. The rights of man against the rights of God. And finally, freedom without truth. It is in that spirit that the revolution happened. It was being prepared for more than two centuries already in people's minds, as I have tried to show you. It is only at the end of the 18th century that it succeeded and bore its decisive fruits, its political fruits, due to the writings of the philosophers, the encyclopedists, and of unimaginable activity of Freemasonry, which in a few decades had penetrated and set up cells within the whole ruling class. And now
0: that, that is a part that we're, we're going to have to dive into, because this is mm-hmm. where I, I start to uh, go back to my archotropism uh, thesis of why is it particularly that the, uh, you know, that, that when you create so much prosperity, you know, this is basically my argument from the third law of archotropism of why we ended up, why like America particularly ended, ended up becoming a superpower, you know, because you had a great underconsumption of, uh, of wealth, which necessarily get, you know, leaves more for the private people who are going to use it to you know, build material wealth and prosperity. And in doing so, you create power centers outside of the state, which will then overthrow it, necessarily so and because power demands consolidation basically it needs to be it, it wants to be consolidated from low concentration to high concentration because the strong basically pre- prey upon the weak and so basically that you know it's the maximum it, it, that's the value maximization uh process for a zero-sum system where you go from one percent of the pie to two percent of the pie to three percent of the pie it doesn't matter you know uh know how big the pie is that it's only how much of the pie that you have that matters in a system in a zero-sum system where you know and so so value maximization occurs by going from one percent to two percent to three percent increment incrementally and so you know that's why it will go from a low concentration to a high concentration this it's a value maximization behavior and so and, and This is uh, yeah. I won't get into the uh, why libertarians are wrong right there and how that proves them proves a lot of their dogmas wrong. But the uh, but for going back to the Middle Ages when the Catholic Church is building Western civilization. By the way, shout out to Keith Keith Knight. We read uh, how the Catholic Church built Western civilization by Tom Woods. Uh, You know uh, we yeah we kind of read that book and uh, analyzed it the other night on his show. Don't try it on anyone. With Keith Knight, it was a really, really good conversation. You guys should definitely check it out. But the but the uh, sum of it, or the short version of it, is that the Catholic Church, you know, be, you know, through its, uh, you know, Catholic monarchy, particularly, you know, was responsible for all of the production of Western civilization. Everything good about it is necessarily Catholic in origin, because you know, because we basically invented all of it. Uh, you know, from the universities to the scientific method, to you know, to, to most, to pretty much all of the scientific disciplines, and you know, all of the you know, and everything that uh, all from all the hospitals, every all, and all medicine, all of this you know w- was a product of the Catholic Church. All of this material wealth was because of Catholic monarchs deferring that gratification, or more correctly, being unable. To to defer it because or, or uh, unable not to defer it through their uh through that institution of monarchy which you know has a, a very very low time preference for power and thus will you know naturally lend itself to a much more productive atmosphere uh, you know wh- where you know you end up and unintentionally producing power centers outside of the church which overthrow it. And so you know when you have all of this wealth being produced outside of the state, it, and you know be, and you end up with a demand and the state itself being weak internally, you know, compared to them, well, what's going to what what does that naturally look like? Power demands consolidation, and the state's power is going to get consolidated to the outside market to the market, basically. And this is where you get uh, people like the Freemasons, like liberalism, you know, like like the oligarchs, you know, who were getting more powerful than the states and had a had had a will to overthrow it. This is where that happened. So they they saw an opportunity in Martin Luther. And this is why, like the king, that like the uh, king of Germany or like i think it was hamburg or they they yeah, had a whole yeah, bunch yeah. of them back then but this it was the, a whole well, bunch of german states this is
1: where the political analysis comes into play because yes. of course the what what why did henry the Eighth break with yep. break with rome henry the Eighth broke with rome because he you know wanted mm-hmm. to wanted to screw other chicks like you know he wanted to have yep. other wives and he wouldn't be granted his thing so it was it was a the again that crack right of what of what yep. cuz okay again, correct me where I go wrong. It's been a long time since I've studied yeah. this, but Martin Luther didn't set out to overturn and create a new form of Christianity, right? Nope. He sought out to be the reformer. And what yes, and right. what event when invariably happened, in part because of the the burgers looking, you know, the individual burgers looking for power to become yep. king's unto themselves, you know, they, they kind of took advantage of his idea, which is a yep. point I've been, I always make with all thinkers is that there is the thinker and there's his followers. There yep. are always these natural dualistic tendencies within all of this.
0: This is so. also Pernell's iron law of bureaucracy. <laughs> where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, basically, uh, Luther has started out with a an, an intent. He's like the initial guy, the true believer. And then there's the people who actually behave that incentives of an institution, which in this case would be the burgers, where they behave, you know, the, or in Purnell's uh, Iron Law of Oligarchy, or Iron Law of Bureaucracy. No, Iron Law of Bureaucracy, I think, not, not Iron Law mm-hmm. of Oligarchy. But basically, the bureaucrats are the ones who end up in charge or and the uh, and the oligarchs are really the ones who end up in charge, because yeah, they're right. the ones actually behaving the incentives of the new system mm-hmm. set out by Martin Luther, and they oh. took advantage of it necessarily because, you know, because this, you know, this is market demand in at work for the market of power, the market of power and is not, always zero sum.
1: Yeah, and not to belabor the point too much. Mm-hmm. But this is and and in fact, the reason why the oligarchs are the ones who behave it is because the king is always supposed to be a part. Right. Like mm-hmm. that, that's the whole that's the whole concept of the kingly person in addition to the the military, you know, the militaristic leadership aspect of it, you might say in a proto sense. But when it becomes a symbol and something that is like something that is transmitted instead of a matter of conquering, we might say, mm-hmm. when it's like passed yeah. along. It's because the king has to be in that it, the same way in which the president has to be. The president is supposed to be above, right? It is the we, it is the head of state as opposed to the head of yep. government in a strictly political analysis as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And not and and this is where uh, Martin Luther's uh, you know idea of a really far away God comes into place. You know this mm-hmm. is because it gives the state a pretext for having a state without God. This is what this is where the secular state was born you know what was these ideas right here god is so far away cuz ma- cuz man is such you know totally depraved you know that he yeah. cannot he's basically beyond rede- redemption and so you have a far away god and now you have the pre te- uh, uh, you, now you have the pretext for the states splitting from rome because what used to happen was your, uh, your Pope was basically the international lawyer for all of the for all of the kings. We invented mm. the Catholic Church invented international law, you know, by being mm. the mediators uh, between a uh, different but different popes. I mean, I, I mean, excuse me, between different kings and excommunicating them if they did something really bad. And this was right. a very common back then for if kings had a dispute, uh, instead of, you know, fighting it out with each other which they still did sometimes you know they would basically appeal to Rome to be, to be their judge because the pope was was generally seen as more powerful than the kings and but because he was a a, sovereign, a, a sacred ruler instead of a so, instead of a sovereign you know you know he could be uh you know that's why they could appeal to him he was not a king of kings he was he was a lawyer for kings or, in, right. or a judge for kings and and, this and is, by uh...
1: It's also what allows for the dual, the dual, the, the, the simultaneous hierarchies within a given country as mm-hmm. well that Hoppe has kind of talked about. Yes. Uh, I know he's talked about it in his property and freedom, freedom society, like I think the chat from like two or three years ago. Um, but he talks about like the idea that the church is actually able to stand in as a secondary hierarchy, as a check against mm-hmm. the against the excesses of um, of of the king. We might say. Exactly. So so let's let's go with the propagator of these errors so we can yep. move into the actual definition of liberalism. Of course, this is Freemasonry. With mm-hmm. what precision, with what clear sightedness, the sovereign pontiffs denounced this enterprise. Pope Leo the Thirteenth exposes in his quad Apostolisti. Ah, hang on. My, my Latin is good. Yep. Already quoted. And again, with the encyclical uh, humanum genus of August 20th, 1884 on the sect of the Freemasons, quote, in our time, the instigators of evil seem to have formed a coalition of an in an immense effort under the impulse and with the help of a society spread out in a great number of places and skillfully organized, the Society of the Freemasons. In their vigilant solicitude for the salvation of the Christian people, our predecessors had very quickly recognized this principal enemy at the moment when, coming out of darkness of an occult conspiracy, it sprang forth To the the attack in the full light of day. Leo XIII then mentions the popes who had already condemned Freemasonry. Clement XII and the encyclical in Emaniti of April 27, 1738 brought excommunication against the Freemasons. Benedict XIV renewed this condemnation in the encyclical uh, Pravidas of March 16, 1751. Pius VII with the encyclical uh, Ecclesium of September 13, 1821 Particularly denounced the Car- uh, Carbonari, Leo, Leo the Twelfth, thir- which is with his Apostolic Constitution Quo Gravoria of March thirteenth, eighteen twenty-six, unmasked. In addition to the secret society Le, Le- I'm, my French is the also, Universitaire, yeah, uh, which was attempting to pervert the youth. Pius VIII with his, with his encyclical Traditi of May 24, 1829, Pius IX with his consistorial allocution of September 25, 1865, and the encyclical Quanta Cura of December 8, 1864 spoke in the same way god then, i'm glad you had to read all that instead of me <laughs> then deploring how little the governments were taking into account these very serious warnings leo the 13th reports the dreadful progress of the sect
0: and by well, the way i just want to reiterate the point right there that it was a, you know it was the states the reason they did very little about it is that they they had an incentive not to they get way more power by having a separation of church and state mm-hmm. than they do by having the church be the head you know the head of the head of state or the, i should say yeah. the conscience of the head of state and mm-hmm. so but so uh it, it was not it was not that we had a uh a, any philosophical problems really within the church itself that cut co- that caused liberalism it was that yeah. the we had problems outside of the of the church that necessarily is a bad state this is why i advocate a corporate monarchy instead of a medieval monarchy because a corporate monarchy would not have this problem. And, you know, you know, for reasons I you know, won't get into tonight, yeah, but I mean, evil should... monarchy does. And mm-hmm. this is exactly what happened that it was it was states that gave us liberalism, ironically, because they wanted more power, not because of, of anything that the Catholic Church had to do with it. In fact, it happened in spite of the Catholic Church,
1: not yeah, because it, of it. You know... The whole concept of separation of church and state was I was just talking to a friend about this the other night Mm -hmm. and I kind of was I was trying to map it out and I've been doing a lot more like like sketching on my whiteboard to try and map out some of these ideas. And it was um, basically two waves emanating from the same point throughout, you know, that that same point maybe being, you know, uh, the start of. Of, of human civilization we might say but so therefore there is a there's there's before that and then there's of course after that and it's basically two waves that are kind of moving and at different points in time they intersect and at different points in times they might have like slight you know be slightly off from one another and like i was pointing i'm like this little thing right here is what we call separation of church and state right and then that's on a curb but the human being exists with the same the same foundation at bo- both point a and point b and point yes. A is before separation between church and state. Point B is the separate is the human being during the separation of church and state. You could Arguably say that are moving the, into an age of You could say
0: that the, the uh separate the uh separation of church and state that George Washington and, and uh Thomas Justin, by the way, George Washington was a Freemason, like explicitly a Freemason. Yes. You know that for a back. lot of the founders uh, were. Oh yeah. And so when we're when he, they're getting into free into Freemasonry right here, it's like Oh yeah, understand the founding fathers were really suspicious of the Catholic Church for exactly this reason that the popes were not their mm-hmm. friends. The Catholic Church was not their friends. And so there you could say that the separation of church and state that the founding fathers gave us was preceded by the separation of the Catholic Church and state that of the of Martin Luther. Of Protestantism. Hmm.
1: Yep. It results from this that, quoting Leo XIII, in the lapse of a century and a half, the sect of Freemasons has made unbelievable progress. Using at the same time boldness and cunning, it has invaded all the ranks of the social hierarchy and is beginning to seize a power in the bosom of modern states, which is the equivalent to sovereignty. What would he say now? Going back to the bishop when there is no government that does not comply with the decrees of the Masonic lodges. It is now for the assault on the hierarchy of the church that the Masonic spirit, or Masonry itself, rises up with ranks closed. I will come back to that topic. What is then the Masonic spirit? Here you have it declared in a few words from the mouth of Senator Goblet de Avilo, member of the Grand Orient of Belgium, speaking on August 5th, 1877 at the lodge of the philanthropic friends of brussels say to the neophytes that masonry is above all a school of vulgarization and a finishing school a sort of laboratory where the great ideas of the age come to be combined and affirmed in order to spread out in the secular world in a tangible and practical form tell them in a word that we are the philosophy of liberalism it is enough to tell you dear readers that even if I do not always name it, Freemasonry is at the center of the topics of which I'm going to speak to you in all the following chapters.
0: Yes because they are the progenitors of liberalism however whatever the definition of liberalism you may choose it always has its origins in the freemasons who are the group outside of the church outside of the state that sought the overthrow of both the church and the state and succeeded on basically both fronts because again through because of archotropism you know you have power that is accumulated outside of the state will necessary power centers outside of the state will necessarily seek to overthrow it because that that's e- economics that is economic demand power demands consolidation bit you know from low concentration to high concentration and if, and if the state is the low concentration they're going to get consolidated by the high concentrations well,
1: i was and even the, thinking was of, i was even thinking of like the time of the church fathers as well right in the mm-hmm. in the council of nicaea in particular of this power this decentralized power we might even make an yep. analogy to the decentralized power of the freemasons that Christianity actually had, uh, at, you know, towards the fall of Rome, and then in, and and subsequently afterwards, and so I was kind of thinking about that in regards to the, I guess, the archetropism framework, right? But it's part mm-hmm. of that where where like that power that was held within the Catholic Church necessarily needed to co needed to coalesce into something greater.
0: Yes, it did, and the reason why what what the you know that started was a was an event called the uh, Cesaro Papism, where the Caesar you know recognizing the power that the Church had you know back in the you know uh, fifth sixth centuries started trying to have a power struggle with the Pope who was seen as the like first among equals and primate he had the primacy of of Rome that was a fairly well established doctrine back in the day because, Mm -hmm. you know, Peter, you know, you are Peter upon this rock will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, he, Christ is giving Peter a primacy there. And so what happened, what was that the emperor back then started trying to uh, appoint the popes and appoint the bishops and this happened a lot, you know, and you know, he lost the power struggle actually with the, with the Catholic church at that time, or or I should say the See of Rome, he lost it to the Roman pontiff. So what did he end up doing? he moved the capital of rome to, Byzant- to byzantium to constantinople where you know he found the, uh, the 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 patriarch of constantinople and he had a much easier time dealing with that guy <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and, histor- and historically he was you know the the uh the uh, the, uh, the roman emperor in constantinople was much more able to uh you know be- to beat up the uh you know, the the, the Patriarch Constantinople and appoint him. And this happened repeatedly, Uh, you know, all and uh, not only did it happen under the Roman Empire, also happened under the Mm. Seljuk Turks afterwards, because what was the first thing that the uh, the first thing the Seljuk Turks did was they killed the previous uh, Patriarch of Constantinople when they took over in the 15th century and then they installed one of their own and then they would and then they would repeatedly uh auction off the office of the uh, of the uh pa- of the office of the patriarch constantinople to the highest bidder <laughs> and that yeah mm. and uh because they were you know they're muslims whether they care and yeah so you so uh you had a a real hardcore break in the apostolic succession that there kind of yeah uh, well to where it's the-
1: interesting to think about the degree to which orth- eastern orthodox denominations tend to be more ethnic in their nature but also tend to be yes. far more tied into the political system as well of the various countries
0: somewhat yeah it, well it, it, not in most of the muslims it's really only this case in in russia and kind of northeastern europe you know because you know in all of the basically there's you know four major synods of you know, originally there were four major centers of eastern orthodoxy out of the out of the four three of them are are controlled by islam and the fourth is you know is ruled over by the ocean because it, Alexandria is 30 feet underwater so mm-hmm. it would be four out of four but it's you know it's three out of four and they ended up mo- and after the seljuk turks moved moved in they moved you know that the and they started just causing all kinds of problems for constantinople uh that you know they moved uh north to russia and they got the uh the you know the benevolent graces, should shall we call them, of the Russians, and and you know starting off with the Mongolians
1: yeah, of, of the Slavic <laughs> people, we might say, yeah, yeah. And
0: it's like it's like this. way, you know, it's like I re- was remarking the other night that you know to a, a bunch of Orthodox friends, like what a really tragic history they had in the Russian Orthodox Church was well, just is one. You know, it's like a, it's like a series of unfortunate events. If you ever read that book. That book series mm-hmm. I mean, that was just one thing after another ju- that just uh, you know kicks it uh, kicks their asses all throughout history uh and yeah. uh you know and but the that what the catholic church did that they didn't do was that we established a, pa- a pope who was in right. charge of all of the bishops uh, appointing mm-hmm. all the bishops that made all of the bishops you know you know like their you know his subordinates so whenever that the states would you know would try to uh, bully the you know we're trying to bully the individual bishops into you know appointing their uh ha- their hand-picked guy they could just defer to rome oh well let, let me ask the pope you know it's not my mm-hmm. and uh and basically this is how the pope became an international superpower was that all the bishops reported to him and that well, he, not was, that the he bishops, was the all-powerful right?
1: bishop bishop and not just the bishops but the abbots mm-hmm. as well because yes. you have you have the multi you have the multiple hierarchies within and the heads the Catholic of the universities church as well, which is which is difficult for I think outsiders to kind mm-hmm. of like people outside the church to understand. Yep, uh, is and the heads the, of the, the universities
0: which... at that uh, time who educated the uh, mm-hmm. the ruling class were all direct. They had to get their charter for their university from the pope. <laughs> so it's it's like all the institutions basically you know reported to Rome. You know they reported yeah. to, the, to the pope and it was through this particular innovation that we figured out how to master the states we beat the states because we because the catholic church innovated the office of the pope whereas the other eastern states always had problems with the state with the states you know meddling in church affairs because they did not have this all-powerful institution there or mm-hmm. and or this uh or at least internationally powerful institution that uh you know, that, that could uh, stand up to them. That could, uh, the, the Pope was the only man in Europe who could stand up to the kings repeatedly and win. And, uh, yeah. you know, and so the, uh, basically that, you know, the, it was this innovation that protected us from the states where and, and gave us the, uh, the, you know, kind of the, that, the inter- again, the Pope was like the international lawyer. He was the judge for all of the states. He was the conscience. Uh, you know, the Pope, the, the Catholic Church became the conscience of the heads of state. And it was that it was it was that they were the heads of state were getting really sick and tired of this, you know, nagging conscience <laughs> that they really wanted to get separated from. And this is mm-hmm. where we got the first separation of the Catholic Church and state that gave yeah. us the subsequent separation of church and state.
1: Well, and you might also and I think it is giving I think it's also worth pointing out. Um, I just or I just feel I feel like it should be pointed out. It wasn't like bishops mm-hmm. at the time didn't give the kings an excuse as well, right? Yeah. Just with, just as a, just to the idea of the relative corruption that exists that that has always existed within any sufficiently complicated system and organ and hierarchy. Um, so, which is which? It's it's you know it's mm-hmm. which is to say, like it's uh, you sow the seeds of your own destruction one way or the other, right? Like you, it's mm-hmm. you know when you let when the church would let a bishop be uh you know imp- improper in some form whether you know he would take a wife or whether he would yep. you know sleep around or or whether he was just living a lavish lifestyle right we always yep. have this image of like the of those of the fat bishop who's yep. uh you know not not surrounded the by gold of, right surrounded by gold not the bishop of Lemiz right not the yeah. bishop who gives Jean Valjean yep uh, who gives Jean Valjean the silver with which he can start his life over, right? But the bishop who would not have taken in the man uh, yep. in, in such a way. And, and, oh, yeah. and so it's and it's worth pointing out that, you know, again, just that no we, none of us are angels at the end of the day, not, oh, even, yeah. the, not even the people of the church. I think but we'll kind of get a, to that as we move through the book.
0: But having that good corporate institution of the Catholic Church, because we are the first corporation in human history mm-hmm. and we are by far the most successful. And sure. we managed to reverse engineer all of the, all of the essential attributes of a corporation that make it work really, really well as a, as a mass production engine. And, you know, we reverse engineered all of that basically by either by chance or by, you know, you know, faithful infallibility basically or where the, yeah. where we we could really say hey this really is the one true holy church because you know god knows we have not been run by brains <laughs> we mm-hmm. were not run this is not an institution run by brainiacs
1: and yeah, it's that's often one of very corrupt arguments that you pre- that you presented to me <laughs> i know
0: it's like it's a, there's no institution on earth that was this corrupt that had this many problems and still mm-hmm. managed to grow for 20 straight centuries into the most powerful
1: institution on the planet and well, not even over lutheranism a billion, could hold on uh, to it right not even lutheranism not even lutheranism and not even eastern orthodoxy because you know we have that we have the split of the russian patriarch from from the from constantinople in recent history and you know from and from ukraine it's like that they'll they'll share something because because it's a
0: super because again this is a problem that orthodoxy has because it's you know they have weak bishops. You know like politically weak bishop not mm. like they have you know bad wills or bad faith or anything like that but they're politically yeah. weak this allows them to become prey for the states and this is why they they get to be so a, a much more political uh re, uh religion than a version of christianity than other versions and mm-hmm. where and and this is also the same reason why Ah, uh, Protestant churches really ended up being like basically the handmaids and bitches of the of the kings in a way that you know even the Orthodox are just they're just not like e- like mm-hmm. Orthodox would just be like just kill us you know like they told yeah. like they would straight like if if you were like really really telling them like hey we yeah you know if the state was telling them hey we're you're gonna do this sort of apostasy here or like they like, like they like they eventually they would be like just kill us. You know, yeah. if, it, if it was a, a minor you know, political ask or something like that, they would do it like, okay, we're going to shiz them with, with, with Constantinople, no problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, those guys are heretics anyway, whatever. And yeah. that, you know, that, but if you were like, hey, we're going to do deny God altogether. It's like, just kill me. <laughs> nah. uh, it's like, I'm going to die first. Whereas Protestants mm-hmm. would be like, gay men in the church is no problem <laughs> and uh so it's like this is the, you know because they they don't even have the bishops they're, Those, they're, they're ju- basically Would just the individuals qualifier. at the mercy of the state and yeah. so it was there's their rejection of authority their rejection of hi- church hierarchy that made them fracture into thirty-seven thousand and counting you know bitches for the state that have hmm. no ability to stand up to the state and uh, they're far weaker than the than the Eastern Orthodox for this politically weaker for this reason, mm-hmm. and you know when you have a secular state that has no conscience, so you end up so naturally you're gonna end up with a a Protestant religion that has bears you know very very scarce uh you know representation you know very it does not at all resemble the 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 Christianity of the Bible it just doesn't and certainly not of the early church or the early church fathers it just doesn't look like that because uh, it is too politically weak and it was this innovation of the catholic church you know probably by accident but more, but more likely by necessity that you or, know or, or really by guided revelation. by the holy spirit that worked out really really well and we, and not only did you know that as the first corporation in human history that had a head start on all of the other corporations by like a solid 1000 years you know this this was the uh you know th- this was the, the ma- our main innovation that gave us that power and ended up inventing all of the other corporations by because it was a catholic king who invented the first publicly traded corporation which is a main kind of this is a proper kind of corporation that all governments should be made of if we had done that at the start if we had realized that modern that the medieval monarchy was not the way to go and w- what we actually needed was a corporate monarchy that was in the likeness of the church We would not have no, no reformation, no schism, no other problems. And we would probably be close to Ancapistan right now and no Protestant reformation, no liberalism, no world wars. If we had just had that, if we had had that one change of that separation of ownership and management, none of this would have been a problem, but you know, well, we're here. I,
1: I see that as a function of there needs to be, to understand the to understand the day you need to experience night yeah like i like that's where the cycle or like i you know i like talking about waves on the shore but that's where the cycle Mm -hmm. element really comes into play for me and i think there's you know well like you know for example the romans knew how to make concrete and that Mm -hmm. knowledge was lost for you know couple thousand years until until basically the modern day and then we go out and look and we find oh crap they knew what they were doing here right with something like that so I think there's i think there's something to be said i think there's something to be said for that yeah. in that in that way too um and uh but you know do you want uh, to you continue
0: wanna... on to chapter two or, or do you want to save that for next time
1: um i'm i we can i i could do both yeah so yeah. i think maybe saving it would be good for the stand from the standpoint of an hour 22 is good consumption and we can kind of wrap up some of the themes uh but uh your call your show
0: Let's go ahead and wrap it there and we'll, okay. we'll, we'll continue. This'll be a, like basically every Friday for, pe- for people is going yeah. through chapter by chapter and, uh, uh, and unwind. And this is such a good book, uh, yeah. uh, about where did this thing come from? What are the exact problems? How did they come about? And why are, you know, what are their, their logical implications and what, you know, and where does it go from and what do we do about it? And it's so good.
1: So here's here's a funny thing. So let's wrap let's wrap on this let's 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 wrap on this idea for a little bit because this is uh, uh this is this is kind of like what I was alluding to before we came on. So there like uh, I'm gonna say two things. The first is that I I, ha- I constantly in these conversations I have an issue putting liberalism at the se- liberalism per se at the center mm-hmm. of the woes right of the of that thing that actually moves. The other uh, thing that actually creates the worst uh, elements of what we see today. I, I but as as the practicing skeptic, I can I maintain the right to be wrong about something and I'm open to accepting new information the second. So that's so that's kind of where I sit, even reading his applications of liberalism. And again, it could mm-hmm. just be, it's probably in part a trick my, my brain is doing, but like I always substitute in progressivism. socialism for it yeah because i would say i said this uh it this is well those are the uh, the apotheoses
0: of liberalism so it's like these are the purified
1: forms of it sure 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 well i was you know the funny i was talking i just had recorded with tommy sammons we talked about uh we talked about um did i say his last name right whatever yes Uh, hopefully i did it right tommy um but we were talking about left and right you know kind of with some of the disagreements that you know you and i might have over it or him and him and you have had over Mm. it at different times and I think I did a good job of laying out of laying out my my schema for oh, it. And it's an idea that. that I'm developing. But one of the things I said is kind of tying to this is like, OK, so maybe like maybe they were like twins, liberalism and socialism and like socialism, like ate liberalism in the womb. And, you know, or, or like liberalism was stillborn mm-hmm. in a sense. And, and again, this again, I could this could yeah, be a matter I'm of sentimentality for me. Go ahead.
0: He actually goes into it in this sec- second chapter at the end that, uh, you know, liberalism by its natural propensity to totalitarianism and to the communist revolution, you know, it, it leads by way of its natural propensity to, uh, to totalitarianism to the communist revolution. It can be said yeah. that it, 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 that it is the soul of all modern revolutions and of the revolution, capital R revolution itself.
1: And that's where I wanted to that. That was the second. So that, that'll be the third thing I want to get to. The second point I want to mm-hmm. hit is I will say that the bishop and I'm just saying the bishop because I can't remember the last name. I'm sure it'll stick with me by the end of this series. What was it? His name is Bishop Lefebvre, Archbishop Lefebvre, Lefebvre. Marcel Lefebvre. Um, so with with what Lefebvre says, it is very akin to our friend Matthew Erickson, yes, who he's le- simultaneously like I'm like, it's it's one of those things. It's like we're operating on the same frequency, but then there's like, it's just like a little bit here and a little bit there. that I'm like, no, that's not, that's not the right note, right? Like you're playing yeah. the song in a different way than I'm uh-huh. used to. You're improvising on areas that I wouldn't improvise on. So I, I will say that there's, there's analogies <laughs> in that. And that's the funny thing about myself, right? Cause yeah. I, I still consider myself of broadly speaking, the liberal tradition, but the skeptical tradition for me traces much farther back in history, but it's not a, it's not a skepticism without a purpose. Right, as I've as I've kind of delineated before, it's more of a it's well, more yes. of like it, your
0: skepticism is a kind that presupposes a divine order, which is a yes. which is very very different uh, mm-hmm. than the than the, the the liberal skepticism, which is why yeah. yours ends up being so much better. Is that is that mm-hmm. you know what you're you're using skepticism as a tool uh, for deriving knowledge in the scientific method, the same way that. Uh, the Catholic, which again was invented by the Catholic church. And sure, that, sure. like that's the actual proper use of skepticism is, you know, for the purpose of verification. And yeah, the, and this is what, you know, this is why you call it sense-making because it actually mm-hmm. makes sense. Uh, this yeah. is the, this is the sense-making method. And, mm-hmm. you know, liberalism has ruined, you know, epistemologically ruined all of our sense-making apparatuses, apparati. And mm-hmm. this is where your, sh- you know, your uh, go ahead and plug your stuff. That this is where all that comes in.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, so I think so. It's like so. I think that's going to be fun about about doing this series is mm-hmm. that we're kind of in different positions. But you know, as I read it, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, and I think it does have to do with my Catholic upbringing. Is is obviously mm-hmm. a huge part of that. And I will I'll credit the Benedictines in particular, as I always will until my dying breath. Uh, you know, that's why the Benedictine cross is behind me there. Like I it, went you know, to a Benedictine
0: university, so right there with knew you. it <laughs> mm-hmm. um,
1: Oh yeah, I knew it. <laughs> but you know, so like, but so I think I, I'm I'm looking forward to kind of going through this if for no other reason than I I enjoy walking the tightropes, and I think again where I might make some formal critiques of his writing style, um, it's I I do I do see the point he makes of the of luther breaking down the order established by the church i think what i'll be interested to see is how he answers um how he answers why the church let that happen in a sense or whether that and and or or do we get to the point where maybe that needs to happen as a part of um i think for a person
0: i think for a person who doesn't understand economics doesn't understand politics he does an excellent job of uh yeah, you know, of answering it again for as someone who is, I, I consider I would I read to be a political neophyte, uh. Mm-hmm. But he, I mean, he does an excellent that's, job. That's of a good observation,
1: actually. Yeah, yeah. And that's, a, that's a good observation.
0: I think he actually, uh, da, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here, here we go. This is a you know he he does give give a it's three chapters in. He finally define really de- you know goes into a, a definition, a really functional definition of liberalism, basically, okay. uh you know, like right here that, that uh, you know, from you know, and we can just, you, uh, this was, this is chapter three, but we'll, we're gonna, you know, kind of read it back in for chapters one and two. <laughs> I probably should have mm-hmm. started with this, but you know, cause I, I didn't realize he didn't define it until three chapters. And I've read most of the book already. So.
1: Yeah. But, well, and uh, I say that was something that was tough. That was tough for me, but I was like, I'm sure he, if yeah. a sufficiently long enough work is going to have an established definition eventually. So you just kind of got to work your way in. And in fact, I think that's part of what makes a book. Um, is the fact that you kind of like, okay, here's a little bit, here's a little bit, here's the big thing. Um, mm-hmm. do, do you go ahead, if you want to read that, I can't read the screen.
0: Yeah, so he says uh, that, you know, I can affirm that liberalism is identified with the revolution. Liberalism is the revolution. It all spheres, the radical revolution. Bishop Guam wrote, it, wrote some lines on the revolution, which seemed to me to be to completely characterize liberalism itself. If tearing away its mask, you ask of the revolution, who are you? It will say to you, I am not what is thought. Many people speak of me and few and very few know me. I am not neither, you know, carbonaryism nor rioting, nor the change from monarchy to the republic, nor the substitution of one dynasty for another, nor the temporary dis- disturbance of the public order. I am not the howlings of the Jacobins, you know. I, you know, nor the furies of the, of the, Hey guys, I want to take a second and tell you about one of our sponsors of this show, Paloma Verde CBD. Paloma Verde CBD is run by a couple from my adopted home state of Texas, Carlos and Vanessa Avalar. You know, they've built a fine line of high-end CBD products that I use two to three times per day. My favorite product is, the, is the strawberry lemonade gummies. I take one CBD gummy in the morning before I start work to take the edge off of my hefty caffeine intake. Not only does incorporating CBD into my daily supplement regimen also you know, help help uh, stop any caffeine jitters that I get, it also helps mitigate the side effects of a whole bunch of other supplements I take like piracetam, Nupept, ALA, and others. And guys, they taste great. They taste like real gummies. Other brands of CBD gummies have like weird, uh, you know, weed aftertaste. But Paloma Verde CBDs gummies, uh, these are high quality. They definitely do not have that aftertaste. Uh, you know, CBD helps me fight stress and burnout during the workday. It helps me manage my anxiety levels. You know, it helps me stay focused and relax and and yet relaxed enough to still be creative at my work. I take the strawberry lemonade gummies for muscle soreness after I work out in the evenings, and I take a third gummy. Every single night before bed with some knockout capsules from InfoWars every night. And man, do I sleep like a baby these days. CBD also helps me relax uh, my mind and get in the zone right before any public appearance. You know, Carlos and Vanessa are, you know, giving my listeners right now a special offer. If you use promo code popular, you will receive 25% off of any order over $75 and free shipping. And... Doing so will help fund my show and help, uh, help me create more original content for you guys. Uh, that's, again, that promo code is popular for 25% off any order over $75 and free shipping. Please support Carlos and Vanessa and, and help support this show at Paloma promo code popular. All right, let's get back to, into the show. But of the lamentang, nor the battle of the barricades, nor looting, nor arson, nor agrarian law, nor the guillotine, nor the drownings. I am not the Marat, the Rose-Pierre, the Babot, or, or the, or the, or the Mazzini, or the Casueth. These men are my sons. They are not I. These things are my works. They are not I. These men and these things are transitory facts. I am a permanent state. I am the hatred of all order which man has not established and in which he is not king and God altogether. I am the proclamation of the rights of man without care for the rights of God. I am the foundation of the religious and social state upon the, wi- upon the will of man instead of the will of God. I am God dethroned and man in his place. This is why I am called revolution. That is to say, overthrow. <laughs>
1: oh, damn! That is exactly where he was going, wasn't it? Because that was yep. the point. I was—it's was like it seems to be his critique is more with the revolution. Of course, he's making a very clear allegory there to Satan uh, yep. as well. This, um,
0: yeah, this liberal. And- this is why he starts off by saying that uh, that liberty, that an absurd definition of liberty, is what uh, is what uh, liberalism tries to tempt the masses with. It's a reference to Satan. And hmm. that that he that he's trying to set up a kind of sat a Satanism, uh, sort sort of parallel to liberalism. Basically, it, you know, his, his idea of liberalism is an absurd definition of uh of 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 liberty. He says that, that the, the, the liberal is a fan fanatic for independence. He extols it to the point of absurdity in every domain, and that's you know, the, and you could say say it's it, you know that liberalism for him is the uh, is liberty taken to the absurd and yeah. you know that, that might be a functional definition for for him that yeah, it, you know, and uh and and you know that's why i really like this right this definition right here because mm-hmm. this basically encapsulates what i mean by liberalism uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, that it, it that particularly that, that, la- that last bit that I am the hatred of all order, which man has not established and in which he is not King and God altogether. Like that once like the proclamation of, of the rights of man without care for the rights of God, you know, and, and, you know, and again, for me as a Catholic and I say, Hey, God is love. That's mm-hmm. central to the definition of Catholic of, of how Catholics define God. Yeah. Uh, and that that you know this idea that hey you're not born by yourself you don't create yourself that you are actually born from other people in the image of god in this image of love in this image of family the f- image of family is the image of love that we are supposed to be inhabiting we don't always do that <laughs> in fact a lot of the time we don't do that but that's a very different from what we're supposed to be do- doing quite obviously so this idea mm-hmm. that you ha- have self-ownership apart from your family is the essence of liber- liberalism i think that is completely wrong completely against natural law completely against the natural order particularly at, particularly as aquinas defined it so sure. so like this right here is the functional definition of, liber- uh, of liberalism that we probably should have started this with, but I'm glad yeah. we got it in a chapter early. Well, okay, you
1: know? and yeah, and it, and it kind of can, and this is the difference between, you know, doing a lecture series and a read along, which is what we're kind of doing. We're doing the read along, we're not doing yeah. a lecture series. You know, it's, um I think it's all, let's, uh, before we completely end, it's also worth, again, kind of pointing out that the Catholic church we see today is not the Catholic church that the, that, that, that the bishop is is speaking on. Oh, and no. <laughs> it, in particular, this is
0: pre-Vatican II,
1: very much so. Yes, yes, yes. But in, in particular, I too. wanted to point out something that you we just that read right over. Um, hang on, I just had it pulled up, but then I was looking for the part you were at because I just got my little iPad here since I had no. Uh, here, this is
0: page thirty-five that I'm on right now.
1: Yeah, it's it's something that we read today. Um, I'm trying to find it. I just had it. It was it was basically something. Maybe it was in the. Ah here we go it's in the it's actually in the preface in the author's introduction um so it is so it is it is there a little bit of reflection can help common sense if the post conciliar age is dominated this is page uh, what page is this i'm this is page there. 13 13 um <laughs> It is, is it there that a little bit of reflection could help common sense? If the post-conciliar age is dominated by the revolution in the church, is this not very simply because the council itself introduced it? The council, this is the council—this is 1789, in the church, declared Cardinal Swenens. Suen, the problem, quote, The problem of the council was to assimilate the values of two centuries of liberal culture, says Cardinal Ratzinger. You might yep. have noticed, and I certainly picked up on mm-hmm. it. This is for the non-Catholics in the audience, that Cardinal there was Ratzinger. Benedict the fifteenth, and Benedict the fourteenth were featured prominently in the contempt, in the uh, yeah. in, in the uh, in in the words that in, in this book, and of course Cardinal Ratzinger, Benedict the 16th. became Benedict the sixteenth, who was the first pope, like like the only the second pope in history, to not serve out his term. Uh, you know yeah, to serve much. out his rule right and so he's basically become this you know he's had to he's he was ba- i mean like dude <laughs> you know what I mean? it's it's it, when i like that was one of those moments where i'm like whole oh, crap because you see yeah. the corollaries of the of the vatican to uh just uh, uh, criticisms and then you and then i'm reading yeah. the words of like old popes which you know it's not my i, I do more of the philosophy thing i don't do the I don't read the popes maybe as much as I should. Um, But to the point of, I saw that and just the literal physical history that we've lived through where you see this very atypical usurpation of the papacy to install Mm -hmm. somebody who at the beginning of this week was offering a mass for the consecration uh, to to the divine mother for ostensibly peace in Russia and Ukraine. And then today comes out and condemns you know, and today it comes out in in the chorus of everything else, uh, with with the rest of the USG, the U.S. Uh, government mm-hmm. or U.S. globalists, depending on which one you want to put. The gay, the global American there. Empire, yeah. gay. <laughs> it works on many levels. That's why I'm using USG going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but but this is also the Pope who's partnered up with Mastercard and other people to create inclusive capitalism. I know. So there is so so the rot. So so for whatever it is we are speaking of, the rot. Is is very much a yeah. part of everything,
0: and he goes um, into uh, you know what happened at Vatican II because he was one of the one of the cardinals at Vatican II who was who saw what the masons were trying to do, and because mm-hmm. it was a Vatican II was a masonic infiltration by masonic bishops and a masonic pope, you know who were who were known and ex and uh, some of which were excommunicated later as after it became by public knowledge, because uh, mm-hmm. you know Freemasons are they're a, a, a very anti Catholic sect. And like some of the key bishops at Vatican II who wrote the thing, you know, were Masonic infiltrators who were like, you know, explicitly heretics and who should have been excommunicated and, you know, and they were later on when it was found out. And so this is where the the chaos of Vatican II comes from. And he's going to take us through that later uh, in the Mm. later in the book, you know, probably like 10 chapters in or something like that. And. The, and so you see exactly why your 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 Vatican II and post Vatican II popes have just been woo woo. It's because of this. It's because of this basonic infiltration that has that has occurred and has been very very difficult to beat back because we don't have any state support, and that's why that's why instead of focusing on fixing the rot in the Catholic at the head of the papacy. I'm focusing on, on, on getting the state back in line, you know, and focusing mm. on getting a cor- a corporate state going because mm-hmm. that's the sort of reinforcement that we would need to stop liberalism in its tracks and reverse it. And, 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 you know, and from there you can re- reverse the, uh, the, the rot in the Catholic church because I see again it w- it was never that the church itself was the problem or or, or its teachings or its institutions or what or whatever it was that we had no is that we lost our state support and that was that that ended up you know causing the prob- problems of liberalism and really it's because we had bad uh bad or badly malformed states to begin with you know medieval monarchy is a malformation of what monarchy is supposed to be as a corporation a corpus. You know, sure. the, uh, and it, it ends up with, because there's no separation of ownership and management. You basically end up with a headless institution that has to, you know, get, get its head from somewhere else. And you know where it's like it, basically the ch- the church had to transplant her head onto the monarchy and that works for a while and then it's and and it, but it it has a, dem- a greatly diminishing return whereas if you separate that organ that uh, you know and now the church is basically, that the state is now running it with around with its head cut off basically it has no brain it has no conscience and because it's now has that separate it's a separate it, it, the 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 separation of church and state means the state is going to is going to be basically a headless institution with no conscience Uh, or like reptile basically this is what this is why they're reptiles and Hmm. the uh and so what you need is is to put the head back on the back, you know back on the back on the state that you do that by separating the ownership and management and by now because now you will have a state that reflects the corporate body of the church now you can have a real union of church and state because before you could not have a real union of church, church and state because these these are two uh, functionally distinct institutions that are you know not just formally distinct but functionally distinct. And now you can and now with this you know with a, a corporate monarchy, you can have a real uh, a, a, a real union of church and state where, where prior one was not really possible. You know you could kind of make it work for a little while, but it was not going to last. Which is what happened. So, and Love if you it. want to help support that, uh, again, misesgop.org forward slash donate. Signing up for even small donations monthly it helps because that's that's the beauty is that our strategy is cheap. You know, if if the, if nothing else, it will be cheap.
1: So, yeah, let me do that thing you asked me to do before. So, if you guys, uh, if you liked anything that I had to say today, and you want to know more about my method and the kinds of things that I investigate do me a favor and visit binawake.com become a subscriber with your email address if you would feel so if you would feel so generous become a patron you get your first year 50% off right now if you go and sign up there patreon or not patreon substack is going to be my home that's where i'm going to be that's my primary monetization so i'm an original writer and i host a podcast where i break down the news i talk about philosophy and i also talk about mindset Oh, all social media media at the LB Muniz. And you Twitter people, go follow me on Instagram because I'm doing more with videos and graphics and stuff.
0: All right. Well, thank you for joining us. And this has been Popular Liberty
1: uh, signing off.